0: 22. message the Lord has given me uh, this morning is what I just call one of those key truths to life, uh, to the Christian life, and we're going to find an illustration of it here in this chapter. And... Uh, You know, sometimes I think Christians get this truth early, and it helps them tremendously um, in their life and their growth and in their their relationship with the Lord for many, many years. And I think sometimes uh, uh, we as Christians maybe miss this truth for lengthy periods of time, and we live in unnecessary frustration um, and defeat in some ways Uh, Because of either missing it or neglecting it. Look at verse 12. It says, And he said, Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. So you may have heard of a missionary, uh, Otto Koning, and uh, Otto Koning uh, was a missionary in uh, Papua New Guinea, and uh, the people that he was working with, of course, were um, quite uh, I guess you would say uh, primal <laughs> uh, they weren't uh, um, they weren't very. Uh, advanced, as we might think of it, and in many ways of their life. And, uh, and it took uh, Otto Koning really a long time to, to adjust to being a missionary there, but in particular to one of the habits that these people had, and that was that they were chronic thieves. Some of you may have heard what is called the pineapple story, and I'm just going to give a brief synopsis of the pineapple story uh, here this morning. How many of you have heard that story before? All right. So you have a little of the context in which I'm going to just uh, kind of repeat uh, the story that he gives. But, uh, uh, for example, he talks about one day he saw, and, and you know, these, uh, these uh, people didn't usually wear a whole lot. And so if they were wearing something in particular, some, you know, sometimes it got your attention. And, and they saw this one uh, 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 gentleman that was had a, uh, a necklace on, and on this necklace was, was hanging Otto Koenig's can opener. <laughs> and he's thinking... Hey, I have a can opener a lot like that one right there. And then he realized that that was actually their can opener. And uh, he says, you know, even the story there is kind of uh, uh, humorous. They had been hacking away at the cans with the machete or whatever else to get them open. They couldn't find their can opener. And here, this guy was wearing it around his neck. Uh, one time, he couldn't find his, 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 uh, his ballpoint pen. He said it was, he saw one guy one day, it was sticking through his nose. He had his pen sticking through his nose. He said, Give me that pen, that's mine. You know, and uh, then he talks about, you know, uh, just safety pins, you know, they'd be missing things like uh, like safety pins, and they'd put them in, the, in their ears and, and things like that. And he said that maybe the most funny one was uh, one day this, this guy uh, comes on, and the, the only thing he was wearing was his wife's prescription sunglasses. And the guy was having a hard time walking around and everything, and they were like, what is wrong with that guy? And they looked at him more closely, and he said, hey, man... You, you're wearing my wife's prescription sunglasses. No wonder you can't walk straight there. Like, you know, give me those things. Well, the point was, they just stole everything. They stole everything. You know, he'd put his shirts out there on the line. The next, you know, on the next day, he would see somebody wearing his shirt. And uh, um, well, you know, the pineapple story uh, comes from the fact that uh, that it was kind of a sandy terrain, and he wanted to have a garden. Um, Otto wanted to have a garden. And he had a garden back home, and he wanted to have a garden over there, but he he couldn't grow anything. Well, he figured out that pineapples grew really good on on that type of soil. And so he he planted a pineapple garden, and he was really happy with that garden. It was doing really well. I mean, you have some gardeners here, and uh, you know what it's like. I mean, you work that thing, you toil over it, and you wonder what's going to come up, and then it starts coming in really nice, you know, and you see the produce developing there, and you're thinking, there's going to be a time when I can harvest that and enjoy it. Well, all that was happening there in this pineapple garden, and he he wasn't thinking a whole lot of the fact that they had stolen everything else from him. And come to find out, they had an eye on those pineapples as well, and, you know, they hadn't stolen them, they hadn't stolen them, they hadn't stolen them. Well, the reason why they hadn't stolen them is because they weren't quite ripe yet. And he said they had a knack of waiting until just before they were ripe, when he would get them, you know? He would get them when they were ripe. And they had a knack of waiting just until that point Right before they were ripe, and they'd all disappear. All those pineapples. I was like, oh man, okay, they steal my can opener You right know, they steal, they steal my shirts. They steal my pens. And now they're stealing my pineapples. What that amounted to, by Otto Koning's own testimony, is basically an, an, an irritated, angry, frustrated missionary who, on a continuous basis was upset at the people that he was supposedly there to help. And, uh, well, we'll talk a little more about that uh, towards the, the end of the message, if there was a resolution to that and what it, what it may have been. Uh, because Otto really wanted to enjoy those pineapples. So we'll, uh, we'll find out if he ever did get to do that. Well, let's look at the, uh, um, look at the, the passage here. And you know what happened in this account. It says in verse 1, Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, it says, And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, um, and he said, Behold, here I am. And so the word there, tempt, is kind of the word that that stands out to me. Because you say, you know, if you know a little bit about 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 the story and what God asked Abraham to do, you would say, you know, that story's bizarre. You would say, humanly speaking, that story's outlandish. You say, you know, what what is God thinking here? What is God trying to do? What kind of a God would ask ask a a father to take his son and to put him on on an altar a sacrifice to him? What kind of a God would ask, you know, someone to do that? What is God doing here? Well, it explains to us, at least initially, it explains to us what God is doing. It says that he was there. It says he was tempting Abraham. Now, that's an interesting word because on the surface, we might look at that and say, you know, I thought the Bible says that God doesn't tempt any man. Well, the word that's translated tempt here is the word uh, Nassau, and it means to test or to prove, to put to the proof. Now, do you think that God knows who to prove in certain ways? Do you think that God knew in his sovereignty, in his foreknowledge, that we would need to see a person who was proved in this way, that we would need to see an illustration of somebody that God could, could, could trust to pass this test for it to, pre- to pre- be preserved for us to this day to learn something from someone that we could look at and say, you know, I may not have passed that test at that time, but God had somebody that he knew at that point that he could trust to pass this test, and he gave him this test in particular to have, even to this day, as an illustration of the truth that was was born out here. And I think that's exactly what's happened. I think that's exactly what's happened. I mean, you might read this story, and you might say, you know, I think this is terrible. But God knew a little th- something about Abraham. And God knew at what point he was in Abraham's life. And do you believe there was any point in time where God intended that Abraham was really going to take his son and to make him a human sacrifice? I mean, is that the God we worship? And is that you know, has, Have you ever seen anything about God that would make you think that that's something that God would, would enjoy seeing? Well, No. No. And that was never going to happen. But the way that he asked Abraham at that time, Abraham didn't have those whole scriptures that we have now. And Abraham had gotten to the point in his relationship with God that he was going to say, okay, God's asked me to do this. And I know that this seems outlandish, maybe, and I know that, that, that maybe, you know, this, this is something that I can't explain right now, but there's some purpose that God has in this, and I'm going to fully trust Him in this regard. And we'll talk a little more about that uh, as we get into the points here. But what I want you to think about as is, is a matter of premise is this We tend as human beings to hang on awfully tight to things that we see ourselves as being owners of instead of actually stewards over. We fail many times to see that God is the owner and that he has simply entrusted things to us as a matter of stewardship. And sometimes uh, people have said to me, well, you, you know, you have eight sons, and in my mind, I'm thinking, yes, they're my sons, but really they're God's and they're just on loan from him <laughs> for a time here to me. And I know that, 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 you know, that may come across as kind of, you know, seeming like, it, like it's detached, but really it's not. It's just recognizing that, that God has sovereignty and ownership over all things. And when we start to usurp God's position as the owner bad things start to happen in our mind and heart related to to that. And things get out of order. And we start to have thoughts that aren't correct. And we start to to presume things that aren't accurate. And we start to take measures that aren't according to truth. And we start to develop spirits and, and attitudes that aren't biblical and not godly. And so we have a test here with Abraham that I think is meant to illustrate to us that we can trust God fully in his ownership. As stewards, we can fully trust him in that regard. And you, can say, you might say, well, I've seen a lot of situations where it looks like God shouldn't have been trusted. Well, you know that sometimes the owner knows things that we don't as stewards? you know that God God as the owner, he sees the full picture of things as sometimes we don't as his servants? And that's what makes him the owner and that's what makes him worthy of being the owner and that's what makes me glad that he is the owner and that I'm not. Because I can't see the full situation so many times. And I don't have the wisdom ultimately to be the owner like he is. But he has given me the wherewithal and the preparation to be a good steward. I mean, he's called me to do that, so faithful is he that calls us, you know, that it will also give us the means to be able to do it. You see, he's called me to be a steward, but not ultimately an owner. And that makes all the difference in life. Now I want to talk, uh, first of all here, about what Abraham may have been feeling. Because Abraham, after all, wasn't a robot. He was a human being. And even though Feelings aren't supposed to be the engine that drives us. We are made to have feelings. Like if we don't ever feel anything, there's a problem. If we never have any emotions, if there's never anything we're processing and, and grappling with in our heart, you know, then, then there's something wrong there. You know we, we We've slipped into sort of a non-existence. <laughs> And I can imagine that even though we see Abraham pass this test, and we're going to see some great you know, uh, character qualities of Abraham and some things to the glory of God that, that, that were true about Abraham. You know, I don't, I don't think Abraham was without feelings here as he followed what God asked him to do. I mean, just imagine this. Let's read through the narrative a little bit and, and think about what he might have been feeling. Because God says, uh, you know, Abraham, and he says, behold, here I am, verse 1. And verse 2, it says, and he said, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou, what's the next word? Thou lovest. (laughs) And you know that it's okay to love something that God has put you uh, as a steward over? It's okay to do that. It's okay to put your heart into that. It's okay to have deep affection for that. And, and here, uh, this is, uh, you know, humanly speaking, here on earth, I mean, this is Abraham's son, and it's his only son, and he loves his son. He loves his son, and he has a vision for his son. And nobody loves their child, you know, uh, normally speaking, unless there's something, you know, uh, uh, abnormal going on with a parent. Nobody loves a child more than a parent does. And this man loved his son. And and God says to me, you know, take that which you love and go up into the land of Moriah. And and it says there, and offer him there for a burnt offering um, upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Are you going to tell me that, uh, you know, that, that you don't think that Abraham was feeling anything there? And Abraham rose up early in the morning and, and saddled his, his, his ass and, and took two of his young men with him. And so he has this night, which I, I, I imagine the reason why he got up early is the reason why you get up early sometime. You just can't sleep. I mean, probably, you know, he was fitful and he, and he couldn't sleep and he's wrestling with these feelings and these things. And he said, you know, I as well just get up and get an early start at this point. And so he gets up, you know, out of obedience and, and he gets up uh, probably with these things churning within him. He took two of the men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offerings and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And so he's getting closer here and they're on this journey. And so not only that night did he have, a, you know, uh, these feelings going on and he's thinking about these things, but on the journey there and now they're getting close and you can just imagine that things are, are escalating in his mind even more. And I was thinking, you know, not about uh, trying to imagine the feelings Abraham would have had necessarily, but I, you know, I kind of I started to imagine what kind of feelings would I have. And I think that I, I you know, honestly, I might have been feeling some indignation at this point. You now, I might have been like something like, you know, what God, I mean, you know, you gave me the Son, and this is supposed to be you know, something you promised as a gift that you gave me. Now you're saying you're just gonna take him just like this? I mean, really, God? I've been trusting you. I've been believing you. And I know, that, I know that, uh, that, that Isaac's name means laughter, but is this what this is all going to be about? It's just, this is this just a, a laugh? Is this is a joke? I might have been feeling some indignation. I might have been having a sense of injustice in this. To so, say, you know, God, I mean... You know, you've you, you given me, you give me this role as a dad, and I'm supposed to be protecting my son here, and I'm supposed to be doing this job, and now this happens? Where's the justice in this? What you're asking me to process here and accept, this is a great injustice. I, I may have been thinking that, I may have been angry. You know how it is sometimes when you take ownership of something and it doesn't happen the way that you want it to is, is you being the owner? What happens? You get angry, right? I get angry at times. That's not the way this is supposed to happen. You know, I'm, I'm in control here. This is the way this is supposed to go. And I say, you know, I mean, you know, put it, put it right down home. I'm, I'm the pastor here, you know, and this isn't going right. And, and, you know, I might get angry about that. I might get indignant about that. I might be trying, you know, seeking to take ownership of that in a way that it's not for me to take ownership. And things are going south and things are unraveling. You're saying, really, God, this is what you're asking me to do? This is what you're asking me to be a part of? I'm supposed to continue to trust you in this setting? I mean, the natives are coming in here, you know, I'm trying to help them. And they're stealing all my stuff and they're, 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 they're taking my pineapples and they're ruining my garden. And, you know, this is, this is what I'm supposed to you know, just, just take and say this is, this is fine. And you can just imagine some of the things that, that Abraham, I mean, yes, he, we can see he's a man of faith and he was trusting God, but don't you think he was feeling some things? Don't you think he was wrestling through some things? I imagine he was. I mean, maybe, I mean, we see him pass a test, so maybe Abraham was all the time just thinking, hey, look, I'm fine. I'm fine with this. Maybe he'd already gotten it. God is the owner. My son is his. Whatever he asks, have be- you? But that's what I want to do. Maybe he was passing it. I don't know if I would have. Because you know how, why I say that? Because much less sometimes gets to me in my life than this would. See what I'm saying? I, I fail the test of ownership versus stewardship over much less many times. And so I'm just thinking about what his feelings may have been and and, uh, maybe a possessiveness there. Uh, Maybe just a a, a, a trying to work through the matter, just uh, going back and forth on it. But we do see Abraham's faith and we see his faith very very clearly. And faith isn't the absence of feeling. Faith isn't the absence of, of maybe even asking questions. But faith is ultimately saying, you know, God, whatever you say, that's what goes. I trust you fully, God. And we see that throughout the narrative. Let's look, pick it up in verse 7. Because in verse 6 it says, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and he's making preparations here in verse 7. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father. And he said, Here am I, my son. This must have been ripping at his heart. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And I think at this moment, something dawned. Upon Abraham's heart. And he answered out of what his trust in God was. And this is what he said Abraham said, My son, God will provide. I think it dawned on him right there, you know, that, you know, if if God gave me this son, and he promised that, that through this son there was going to be blessing to the whole world. And, and he promised he had a great plan for this son. And I know this looks like it's going in a certain direction. It looks like it's out of, you know, uh, out of control. And it's something that, that I don't totally understand. But I think when his son asked him that question, there was something that resonated in his heart that, you know, that he, could, he, he could trust God. The God that understood that he loved his son, loved his son even more than he did. And he looked at his son, and I don't think he's just trying to, you know, smooth it over or just trying to give him a pat answer. It says, my son, God will provide. He will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. And so they went, uh, both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. So God hadn't interrupted his instructions yet. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to, to slay his son. You think this is terrible. This is horrible. But you know, we know at the end of the story, God never intended that, this was, that he was going to go through with this, but he intended to fully test him and get the proof of, of, of Abraham's confidence in the supreme owner of God. Now, he may not have been be able to trust any, any of us with this test. But he entrusted it to to Abraham. And the angel of the Lord called up unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And there's a wonderful picture of the gospel that comes from this. There's a wonderful picture when we trust God and God provides for us. When we look at God as the owner, that gives us a testimony that someone else would never have of the gospel and how we can trust him as our redeemer. You know, when I trust that for God has has given me the people that I love, for example, that he's given me for for me to to be able to enjoy for however long he gives them to me. And when I trust him that he has an eternal plan for them that goes beyond even the measure of my stewardship here on this earth, when I trust him for that, that's an incredible picture of faith and of the gospel. When I trust that he has made provision for every one of my loved ones, for myself, for my loved ones, for, for those that I care about, to be able to eternally be with him and have a relationship with him. You know, that tells me that that God God loves him even more than I do. And God loved Isaac. And God used Abraham and Isaac and and, and the substitute of the lamb that that, that was provided there that was found in that thicket, the ram, caught up in the thicket by his horns. Abraham took that ram, offered him upon the burnt offering instead of his son. And there is the picture of the perfect uh, substitute that God provided for every person that might themselves have to be offered in death as their own sacrifice to pay for their own sins. Jesus had that cover with that ultimate gift. And, And Abraham's faith is remarkable. And he did pass that test. And you know, sometimes the test is going to come in ways that if we were to know about it far in advance, we would have a dread of, that would maybe even paralyze us to living life. But when we realize that God is is the owner, and God has made full provision for eternity beyond this earth, then that helps us to be able to relate everything that happens here to that ultimate eternal plan. And it makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. We know from the Bible, thirdly, that Abraham was God's friend. He was God's friend. James chapter 2, verse 23 says, And the Scripture was fulfilled, which said, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. He was called a friend of God. Let me ask you this. Is Is God just a figure to you? Or is He your friend? That's an important question. Have you ever had a friend that you came to fully trust? I've had some friends in my life, and I thank the Lord for this, that I came to trust implicitly. I came to trust them implicitly. I, kn- I knew that they had my, my best interest in mind. I knew that even if they had to say something hard to me, that they were trying to help me, I knew I, 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 just, I, just, I came to trust them. They were that sort of a friend. And so when that friend spoke to me, you know, I knew the heart that it was coming from. And Abraham had a friend, and his friend was God. <laughs> And when, when, when God said to Abraham, hey, Abraham, you know, uh, Abraham said, I'm over here, Lord. I'm right here. What's going on? Abraham, I'm going to ask something of you today that's, 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 that's going to be hard. I'm going to ask you to trust me in this. Do you trust me, my friend? Yeah, I do trust you because I've seen your heart, Lord. I do trust you. You're a good owner. I do trust you, Lord. What are we doing today? Well, it has to do with your son Isaac. Don't you think that Abraham being the friend of God made all the difference at that point? If God was just sort of like a figure to him. You know, sort of this detached figure that it is to so many people and they they, they blame God for every for everything because they're not friends with God. They just kind of see God, you know, as as this impersonal figure, this kind of this nebulous force. And when this goes wrong, they get mad over that. When this doesn't happen the way it's supposed to, they get upset about that. When this is messed up, they get bitter about that. And they're constantly thinking, you know, this is mine. This is the way I want it to go. This is the way it's supposed to be for me. And they're constantly taking their little realm of, of, of ownership and they're never trusting their friend as the owner, God, and they're never trusting his heart in that. And they live their whole life miserably wrestling with circumstances, with God, and with others. You know, Otto Coning, I mean, a missionary to, to uh, uh, Papua New Guinea. <laughs> and he that's a godly man right there. Left his home country, went to a place where it's hot and humid, and there's, you know, what we call, you know, savages running around, whatever, you know, and... and and that's a godly, that's a sacrifice right there. But had he really relinquished ownership to God? Well, not at this point. He was angry at him all the time. He was frustrated. He was saying, you know, this is my mission field, and these are the people are supposed to be responding this way. And they're taking my stuff, and they're stealing my stuff, and they're ruining my stuff, right? And it's like God... Like to every one of us, I imagine he started saying to to Otto, Hey, my friend, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Look at verse 1. It says, It came to pass those things that God did tempt or test Abraham and said unto him, Abraham! And he said, Behold, here I am. Here I am. And then in verse 5, it says, Abraham said unto his young man, Abide ye here. And he went on with his son. And what, what does that show you? That, you know, yes, he had some, he had some uh, company there. He had uh, some, some, uh, uh, some friends along with him. But, you know, there gets to a point in some, some situations in life where you're not going to be able to depend on your friends. I mean, you will be able to, to a certain degree, but there's some journeys in your life, you know, in your relationship with God that you're just going to have to go some steps on, uh, further on your own. And it may just be, and it may just end up being you, <laughs> In that situation, in that test that God has for you in particular, that he wants you to trust him personally in in the past. And that's where it really is proved. You know, what is your relationship with God? Not what's your friend's relationship with God, not what your church's relationship with God, not your past. What's your relationship with God? Next, I see Abraham's freedom. I see his freedom. He was delivered from this, and that was great uh, freedom. It says, And the angel of the Lord, in verse 11, called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thine hand upon uh, the lad. And I'm sure you know this here am I was probably a little different in 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 tone, and flavor than the first here am I, right? The first here am I it was probably just like another day God was speaking to him and he's like, yes, uh, Lord, you know my friend, I'm here this here am I, he's like you know, he's, he's going through with this and man, he's expecting some deliverance and it's right down at the last second and the suspense is building and God says, Abraham, you know, the angel of the Lord here am I, <laughs> yes Lord I've been waiting to hear from you and sometimes it feels like that, you know. It's like I've been waiting to hear from God in this and this, and I'm not hearing from him. What's going on? And uh, God is, is rarely early, but he's always on time, right? He's always on time. <laughs> but it says in verse uh, uh, verse 14, after God provided this, this ram, verse 14, it says, And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah-Jireh. We know what that means, a lot of us, right? The Lord is my provider. Isn't there a great piece in that right there? Doesn't that liberate you? God is my ultimate provider. I can quit struggling with it all. I can, I can quit being frantic. <laughs> I can quit being stressed out. I can quit thinking, you know, uh, I, have to, I have to continue to take ownership of this and, and to make it work. And I can say, you know, no, no. God's the owner. He's the ultimate provider. And I'm resting on that truth right there. And that makes the whole difference. That's huge freedom. That's huge freedom. To just say, you know, I trust God's hand. And I might not always be able to see you, you know, understand what his hand is doing, but I, I trust his heart for Sure. I trust his heart 100% of the time. And so he says, I'm going to call this place Jehovah-Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount, the mount uh, of the Lord, it shall be seen. As a constant reminder, in Abraham's heart, of God's provision. And because of that, it led to uh, Abraham's future being so much more fulfilling. You say, you know, I don't think that I'm I'm getting a little convicted here. I don't think I've ever relinquished ownership fully to the Lord. And and I can tell by some of the frustration in my life, you know, I'm being convicted about this truth. Well, today is a day where you can say upon this mountain right here, I'm going to recognize Jehovah Jireh in a fresh way. And I'm going to let that affect my future now. I'm going to let that affect my outlook. Um, in this whole journey that I'm in the school of faith And, uh, and so it says in verse 15 the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said by myself have I sworn saith the Lord for because thou hast done this thing you've passed this test Abraham congratulations and hast not withheld thy son thine only son I have seen in your heart that even your son you would say okay Lord If you want to take him. You know, I recognize he's yours anyways. Wow. What a powerful thing. That in blessing, I will bless thee. In multiplying, I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven, as the sand which is upon the seashores, and the seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And I see shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because that thou hast obeyed my voice. Now for Abraham, it was going to bless a certain amount of people. And that was determined by God. But you know that as you pass this test, that's going to be a blessing to some people in your life as well? You know what the Bible says? The Bible says that bitterness defiles many. (laughs) But the blessing of trusting in God will also affect many. For you to go through some things that for others they would turn bitter, and for you to say, no, I'm still trusting my owner, my friend, the God God of this universe, the one true God, I'm still trusting him. Like Job said, you can take my life, I'm still going to trust God. That's going to be a powerful testimony that can't be fabricated, that God, by his grace, allowed for you to live. That will be a blessing to many. It'll be a blessing to many. And it's not about being passive, you know. You might, because someone might say, well, if I'm not the owner, then, you know, I guess I've just, well, whatever. It's not a whatever. Well, the Bible says, you know, it is required of stewards that a man should be found faithful. So in stewardship, we are faithful. There's a role that we play, there's a part that we have in that by God's grace. But always remembering that He's the owner always remembering that. And uh, in the story of Otto Koenig. it looks like a lot of you already know the ending there, but um, he came across some Bible truths in his ongoing frustration. And, uh, you know, was really, he, was, he was having a very ineffective ministry there because if you're angry at, at the people all the time, you know, I mean, it's kind of like he said, you know, uh, missions work would have been great if it wasn't for those people, right? I mean, it was like, uh, you know, And if you're angry at them all the time, you're probably not going to have a a real effective ministry as far as reaching them for the Lord, right? Um, And so that was going on. It was a Friday. It went on for years, and he just felt like he was beating his head against this thing. And and finally the Lord said to him, hey, look, whose pineapples are those? (laughs) Can we grow a pineapple? Can we grow a pineapple? No, we can't really grow a pineapple, can it? It has to be a miracle of God in that every time, right? I mean, whatever God has given you, you know, it, it, it was ultimately goes back to him that he entrusted it to you for however, many, however much time he gave it to you, right? We can't make it. We can't ultimately do it. It all goes back to him. And he had to come to the point answering that question and say, well, you know what? Yeah, you're right, God. You are right. Those are your pineapples. And so he took that approach. He said, no, I'm going to relinquish, I'm going to relinquish ownership of these, of these pineapples. And I'm going to say, okay, Lord, those are your, you're the owner of those pineapples. If you don't like them messing with it, then, you know, you take care of them. If they're stealing your pineapples, you know, and, and, and you want to do something about it, you do it. I'm done fighting with this thing. And it's very interesting when he It's <laughs> humorous in the story, you know, when he got his, his heart right in that regard and he relinquished ownership of it. His spirit changed and his attitude changed, and uh, they called him Tuan or something like that. And one of the natives came and said, Tuan, did you get saved? <laughs> so, you know, he'd been affected to a certain degree. I mean, they understood there was something that was supposed to be different about a Christian, you know. And he had, he had taught them these things, and they just didn't really see them in him yet. So they figured now that he was different, well, he must have gotten saved, Right. And if you listen to the rest of the story, I mean, it is a pretty powerful story about how he changed his whole disposition and he changed his whole approach. And it wasn't always easy. But God worked there in a way that he wouldn't have worked otherwise. And he became a blessing to many. He became a blessing to many. Why? Listen to the story. There's a lot of details to it. But because he realized that this was just stewardship and that God was the owner. And that he could trust God as the owner in all things over the pineapples. (laughs) We have some pineapples, don't we? You know, maybe a material possession. It may be a job. It may be a ministry in the church. It may be our family. Whatever it is, you know what makes the whole difference in our spirit and our approach and our attitude? Is realizing that that belongs to God and not to us. And that we should be faithful in that. But that ultimately, we're free of the responsibility ultimately that comes with, with ownership. And that God, as the owner, will work that terrain in a good way for His eternal glory in a way that we never could. You know, so I, I feel as, as, as a dad, I, I've tried to work the terrain well in my family. I, I've tried to do a good job and, and, I, and I've sought to exercise God's ways. But ultimately, that was a matter of stewardship. And, and there are times when things don't come to, you know, the, the expectations of kind of what I was envisioning. But you know what I can do at that point? I can say, you know, Lord... I'm trying to obey you, and there's something more I can do, show me. Is there something I've done wrong? You know, I want to I get your you know, forgiveness for that. But ultimately, I'm trusting that you're the owner, and you're going to keep working here. And use me in any way that you continue to do that. Because when we recognize God as the owner, and we just have a faithful role of stewardship to play, it makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. When we, when we presume the ownership that belongs to God, we're stealing from God, and God's grace isn't in that. You know what that's going to do? That's going to be destructive. That's going to be counterproductive. Otto Koenig's ministry was failing over and over again to the very people that he felt like he was trying to help. When we say, okay, God, you're the owner. It's fine. It's okay. I'm just going to obey you with what I know to do today. And I'm going to trust you, you're going to continue to work. And all this ultimately is for your glory. That's a great place to be right there. It's not the easiest place to be, humanly speaking. But it's the place where you're going to continue to be a blessing to others. Through the circumstances that the owner has allowed in your life, you can either become better or you can become bitter. And there's very, very little in between that ultimately ends up happening. Honestly, many times we have bitter Christians in churches because they've never learned this simple point here of letting God be the owner. And that's just exercising good stewardship. Being good. So we don't have to manipulate things, we don't have to coerce things. We just work faithfully, obey God, let Him give the increase, and He will. He will, because uh, he's the Lord of the heart, and he knows what he's doing. Let's stand together.